You're listening to the Sound Girls Podcast with Tori and Katie. Michelle Levitt has been a musician, an artist, and the CEO of her own podcast studio. She's the marketing director for Heil Sound and has worked there for 17 years. They make world-class microphones for stage, studio, podcast, and broadcast. Well, welcome, Michelle, to the Sound Girls Podcast. Hey! Thanks for having me. Our pleasure. Michelle, we're very excited uh, to have you. And we were just talking off mic, off camera. How do you how, how do you want to say this? Um, Unrecorded, uh, off the record. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that sounds good. Um, about uh, how much of a, let's say, microphone genius you are. Tell us a little bit about your uh, special skills in, uh, you know, knowing what microphones people use. Yeah. So I have a freakish ability, um, or it's just a whole lot of paying attention and a lot of listening to be able to call out what type of microphones people are using, whether it's a dynamic or a condenser based on their audio. And sometimes I can get it down to the model. Um, there are sort of distinctive sounds that certain mics have, like the SM7B has sort of that warm, bassy sound that's pretty obvious and it's a dynamic, so it only picks up sort of right right in front of it. And, you know, with condenser microphones, you get a lot more room noise. And so mm-hmm. I can tend to hear people just like making the slightest movement. I am sitting on such a creaky chair. <laughs> I feel so <laughs> hard right now. <laughs> I heard you smack your lips a little bit. <laughs> I'm just going to disappear. I'm sorry. That's, uh, that's my biggest problem with using condenser microphones is trying to cover up all the noises that my mouth makes because <laughs> I can't get away from it. <laughs> Yeah, I was wondering, it's not a good podcasting mic, basically. Not so much. Um, not so much, in, Unless yeah. you have a, you know, soundproof audio booth, and then I say go for it, but... Um, I've got a pillowcase over <laughs> my monitor. I've got... I'm on yoga mats, but obviously it's doing nothing, so... <laughs> well, now I want to know... Okay, so now that the listeners know what Katie and I use, I want to know what you use, Michelle. I know everybody, that is like the first question everyone asks me is what I'm using. So I'm using a PR37, which is our new like vocal live sound mic. I'm pretty obsessed with this microphone. We actually launched it right before the pandemic. Worst time ever. Um, But this particular microphone, especially in a live sound stage, it sounds just like the person, which for somebody who used to be a performing musician, like having that kind of truth in sound is unusual. And it actually kind of stunned me the first time I heard it. And so I've been obsessed with it because, you know, I started out uh, my music sound sort of journey when I was pretty young and I played saxophone in a jazz band. And the only thing I knew about microphones was that I hated the way my mic sounded through this stick looking mic, which turned out to be an SM57. Mm It's got that like characteristic, like sort of nasal peak sound, which is terrible on a tenor saxophone. It kind of makes it sound like stepping on a duck. And so Mm. all I knew was when I got on stage and there was one of those, I was like, oh, I knew I was going to hate the way I sounded. And so, you know, I, I tend to look for a sound that's just super, super natural. A lot of people use processing. I don't. I use a really basic, um, Alan and Heath Z10, just USB connection into my computer, uh, always using an XLR mic, and no EQ at all on my microphone. So people are surprised by that. But I want to sound like me so that when people meet me in person at a trade show or something, 
it's not like, oh, you don't really sound the way you sound on shows. Like that's not not my idea of of a good a good podcast sound. Well, wow. and like that's I feel like the goal even with live. You know, you were talking about when you're playing tenor sax. You know, you want your mic choice and the placement to accurately resemble what the tenor sax would sound like if you were sitting right next to it. And I feel like that's the same way for vocals as well. So that's that's really neat that you're you were able to find gear that accurately depicts your voice. Yeah. I think every musician or, you know, even voiceover talent or podcaster, they are just looking to recreate the sound that they practiced and tried so hard to get. And, you know, when I'm using a microphone, like a lot of a lot of people love the PR40 for podcasting. It is not my favorite mic for my voice. Um, and I'm mm-hmm. always telling people like microphones are so individually different from one another. That's the reason, you know, like we can have so many microphones in our lineup and sure has so many microphones in their lineup. And, you know, Audio Technic has so many and like none of them are just the same. And even on different voices, they sound different. And so it's a lot of just trying things out for individuals. And I know that's a frustrating thing to hear if, you know, you're sort of low on funds or (laughs) don't have the ability to go to a store and try things. Um, A lot of stores don't carry a ton of different types of microphones. So it's, you know, I mean, Tori probably has a a better arsenal of things that she gets to try. None of which belong to me. That's all, uh, all, 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 uh, all, all with the company. But yeah, it's, you know, and that was such an eye-opening moment for me anytime that I've done outside gigs, including the podcast. I have all this gear at my fingertips at work. And then here I am building something new on my own. And now, you know, this is when you invest and this is when you figure out, okay, this is how much money I have and this is what I can do to get the best product that I can. Yeah. How many Ikea moving blankets can I buy for this amount of money? <laughs> oh, I know. How many bedspreads, you know, how many sheets can I put on the bed? Yeah. Can we um, rewind a bit? Because uh, I'm very interested in this, uh, this young Michelle saxophone player. Can you take us through uh, a little more of that, of your roots and kind of finding your way through school and like into your career? Yeah. So the crazy thing is when I was 12 years old, I made a decision that changed the course of my entire life. And I chose to play the saxophone over the flute. And I did that because I wanted to play jazz. So when I was 12 years old, I decided to play the saxophone. And I started out just playing alto saxophone because that's what everybody did. And then I wanted to change to tenor and I just liked that voicing and that was kind of just where it was at for me. And I think the the saxophone was probably almost as big as I was at that point. And I wound up going on to do like professional jazz camps in the summertime once I got to like high school age and I went to school on a music scholarship. Throughout the course of playing in big bands and touring with those big bands, I kind of realized that a lot of the jazz musicians were doing this like summer hustle of jazz band camps, which were great. And I'm just not a big sleep in hotels all the time person. And I still am not, even though I do it fairly frequently. I was like, I don't know if this is just really like the path I want to go in terms of like a job. You know, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. Once something that you love and have interest in crosses over to the thing you have to do every day, it can change how you feel about it. And I was already getting to the point at age like 22 where essentially my job was to be a musician because I was on a music scholarship. I was 
playing, like practicing for like four and a half, five hours a day or a week. And then we would have gigs on top of that. And we would have, you know, like small private things that we would do. And then our jazz band also played for all the basketball bands, which I actually was just having a conversation with um, one of our old trombone players. And I was like, were we actually a yacht rock band because we were a jazz band playing rock songs? Like, I feel (laughs) like that's really a better description of what that particular group was. And he was like, yeah, I think you were, you're right. That was actually yacht rock (laughs) we were playing. I went through, you know, doing the music stuff and all the while I was getting uh, degrees in like graphic design and art. And when I left undergrad, I was like, I'm going to go to get my master's in fine arts and I'm going to be a sculptor and teach college and do that whole thing. And one semester in, I was like, I hate teaching college students. <laughs> <laughs> Why? What's wrong with it? <laughs> I was like, I can't do this. <laughs> I have made a huge mistake. So it was a good thing I got like all those extra degrees. Um, And I started actually working at Heil Sound just doing their graphic design. And I was just working on like their catalogs. And at the time, the company had just launched its pro microphones. And so I was pretty much working on like the ham radio division. And Bob Heil has this interesting quirk. When he is done creating a microphone, he does not care what happens to it. He's just like, he's like, okay, this is not fun for me anymore because my work is done. And he just moves on to the next thing, which makes sense if you're him, right? Like that's his interest. His interest is not marketing and business and all of that stuff. So we had these three microphones. We had no website. We just had the ham radio website. No one was buying these. And I was like, these are really good microphones we should maybe try to sell them to some people. Just give it a try. It sounds like a good plan. (laughs) So um, I helped them build their first uh, pro website. And I've been doing that ever since. We're actually building a new pro website as we speak. So, um, you know, it's, it's been an interesting journey for me. And it was one of those things, probably like everything else that I've done, is you just get in it and you just educate yourself on, you know, like what you don't know and try to work off your strengths. And I feel like I constantly have this like fake it till you make it mentality. And especially with like the marketing stuff that I do, it changes like on a weekly basis. So you never feel like you've caught up. And um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because it kind of keeps me on my toes and it keeps me more interested in what I'm doing, but I get to do it in an area that I love. Like I love working in the music industry. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I got to where I'm at at Heil Sound. So I'm kind of curious when you're starting to share the story, you mentioned that, you know, everyone gets to a point where you think you're doing something that you love and then it becomes a job. Then you know that it's time to move on. How do you keep what you're doing today fresh, you know, so that you still love what you're doing? Wow. That's a good question. I think I just keep trying to be aware of how the industries that I work in are changing. You know, um, I've been doing this for 17 years now and a lot has changed in 17 years. And I have a feeling the next 17 years, everything is going to completely change again. When I started, podcasting wasn't a thing. And like in 2006, we were building a website and I put a section on the website called, What is a Podcast? 
because nobody knew. And Uh-oh. we were selling microphones to podcasters and I was starting to listen to marketing podcasts. And I think that's kind of what keeps me so fascinated is watching the changes in these industries and even like broadcast, which is really old school. So many of these broadcasters are coming up with like new and different ways to sort of utilize internet broadcasts as well. And everything is changing so quickly. And the last year was really crazy. And we've worked with some audio engineers. Tim Quimby is one that comes to mind. He was Slayer's front of house guy for, I don't know, probably 30 years. And he was every bit a part of their sound as they were. And I think people don't think about those long-term relationships with an audio engineer as such a part of that. And getting to meet those people and getting to really learn the ins and outs of these bands that I love has been an incredible motivating factor over the years. Meeting new artists, meeting people that are like just coming up in the music industry is always really exciting. It just, it changes so much just from week to week in what I do, whether I'm you know, working on a podcast or I'm creating a video or we're going to a concert. Like my job is just kind of like always changing. And I think that's what really keeps me in this because it is all those things that I like, but I'm never like nailed down to just doing one thing like day in and day out. And I think that was the thing that was kind of like scary and daunting about taking those those other paths of either like art and a professor or you know, being a live musician. I just didn't know if I could just like commit to doing that same thing over and over. And sometimes I still like, I look at the musician thing and I will like watch somebody who's been doing this for 40 years. And I'm like, do you get sick of playing the same song every night? Because I would be like, just so mentally checked out. You know, I was fortunately in groups where what was asked of you was to play different music all the time. And then when that becomes your own thing, then you have to play your own music. And like if the crowd wants to hear Hotel California, you, <laughs> you better play. You play that every <laughs> night, well, whether you want to or not, because that's what they are paying you to see. And so there's, for me, um, you know, I'm just, I'm not stuck in anything, I don't think. And I can kind of like, this is going to sound bad, but if I get bored doing something, I can just stop doing that for a little while, <laughs> work on something else and then go back to it. So that's kind of the beauty of of what I do is I get to do all these things in these areas that I love, um, but I'm not stuck in any one area. I love that. Sounds really I ideal. Do. Yeah. I know. I resonate with that. That's awesome. The ultimate goal of your position is um, promote Heil Sound, get people to buy their microphones and all the situations you might find yourself in differs day to day. Is that the gist? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I'm curious because obviously um, this microphone genius thing, I guess you started uh, when you played saxophone, you developed an a sort of ear, but it was really kind of clinched together at Heil Sound and you had all these microphones at your disposal to play with. So can, can you take us through your microphone journey and like developing your ear? Yeah. So I had a few years ago, a podcasting studio of my own and I had audio engineers that worked for me and I was producing three shows and I spent a lot of time in headphones listening. One of the things that, you know, when you're like, when you're really trying to hone your ears to listen for like little sounds, it helps you to like just be more aware of sound in general. And as a matter of fact, when I was setting this up today, there's a slight hum in my headphones and I can't figure out where it is. I changed out like every single component of my setup to try to figure it out. And I like pulled in one of our our tech people 
who their job is to like fix these things. And I was like, can you hear this hum? And he was like, no. I was like, are you serious? He was like, yeah. I was like, you're messing with me, right? And no, he could not hear the hum. But I, I have sort of like tuned my ears to have very sensitive hearing. And the other thing is I have a two-year-old. So when you have a kid, something weird happens to your brain and your hearing in particular to where like you can, you can hear them like squeak in the next room <laughs> or the opposite of that when they stop making a sound. What's going on? Yeah. The two-year-old is very dangerous when they stop making a sound. So over the years, I've just sort of honed. It's maybe not even as much a, like a physical hearing thing as just like an attention thing. It's kind of weird that I call people's microphones out. But once you really start paying attention to it, it's it's just like subtle things of like being able to hear just a slight little bounce back of audio from the wall to back to the microphone that a dynamic microphone usually just can't pick up. So your podcast studio, uh, it's no longer? Um, I actually sold it. Which is exciting to sell a business. Um, I sold it. We used to live in Buffalo, New York, my husband and I. Mm. And we moved back. Uh, My husband works for Heil Sound also now. He's the president of the company. And it's our family's business. Bob Heil is his stepdad. So I've been working for the company for a really long time. And he's sort of been in and out of it over the years. And it was just decided that we would, you know, like move back and both work for the company full-time, which is an interesting thing to do. But yeah, my podcasting studio in Buffalo was fantastic. Um, I loved it. It was a small little space. I had four audio engineers, which was sort of my sweet spot for making sure somebody was available at all times. And I just got to work with some really incredible people between like teaching like CEOs and people like that, how to basically be a broadcaster. (laughs) Um, I was nobody's favorite in the beginning because I made everybody just like work really hard and I made them practice a lot using a microphone because it's not... It's not normal to like jam a microphone in front of your face and then have a conversation with someone, I don't think. And I think everybody that starts off doing that, there's like that awkward beginning stage. And I would try to let my clients get that out of their system in private. (laughs) Most people came to me and they're like, I want to put out a podcast um, to market my business. And I'm like, okay, you want to sound like you know what you're doing, right? Um, And then I would make them practice for about 10 hours before we ever recorded our first episode. Yeah. It was never a very popular period of time. But literally every... If you wanted to have a meeting with me, we did it in the studio on the microphones. Um, We would do practice sessions and then I would make them throw away their first episode that they actually recorded. (laughs) Wow. wow, you're a hard ass. <laughs> but all of my shows, nobody ever says, don't listen to my first 10 episodes. Yeah. Well, okay. So I know you've done like all the roles. You've done the producing, you've done the editing, and you've done hosting. But you also made people practice being comfortable in front of the mic. So I guess it all starts, starts with the mic, starts with the performance. And then you can't really fix a lot in post. Or like, what's your opinion on maintaining the quality through all the steps? Yeah, I mean, if your audio is garbage in, no engineer wants to deal with that. There's only so much they can fix in post. Mm -hmm. As somebody who has done Photoshop for years and years, it's kind of the same thing where like you hand somebody a garbage picture and you're like, make me look like Heidi Klum. And it's like, that's not going to happen. Sorry. So, you know, it's like just keeping the expectations realistic too with people, with their audio if you edit out every single um that people say, it just makes them sound like a robot. Uh, the better way to do that is to just train them to not 
use those phrases or smack their lips. We would have... <laughs> oh, God. I say, um... We had... We would just put up like post-it notes for people like to try to get them to stop doing their bad habits. And then in my own show where I hosted, it was best case scenario. We built a podcast around talent instead of like being like, oh, we're friends. Let's make a podcast. Our goal was to have this show... And so this creative director and I actually like outfitted out this podcast with an engineer and an actor. And our actor was sort of just our our whipping boy, so to speak, that we would like make fun of. And he was just our comic relief. But we literally had a whiteboard that we could erase and write notes on for people. And we would use it, we would use it with our our clients too, to sort of give them notes or be like, you kind of mentioned something, but you didn't clarify what it was, like go back. But in my own show, the only thing we ever wrote on the whiteboard was Shut Up Paul, which was the actor's name. <laughs> and so love that as a as a tool for, yeah. for podcasting. Um, Shut up, Paul. <laughs> then everything's fine. Yeah, you just <laughs> need like, fine. sometimes people need a reminder. Like, <laughs> Wow, you're blowing my mind. I'm like, okay, Sound Girls podcast, start from... <laughs> No, I'm kidding, but it's just, it is interesting. It is interesting. There's a lot to learn. There is, there is. I think people think that podcasting is just so simple. You just record some audio and jam it out there. And I learned that it was not easy. Um, We did a podcast six years ago was my first show. And we did 50 Years of Maximum Rock and Roll with Bob Heil. And it's still my favorite show that I've ever done because I got to control all the aspects of it. We wanted to interview Bob. And so I hired a friend of mine who is talent for iHeartRadio. And so he was a professional and we would just sort of set them up and like, here's today's questions. This is what you guys are going to go through. And then we would edit the show's post. Now, the second half of the episodes sound just like the first. The process was a little different. Bob was getting a little sick of the weekly podcast calls and he wouldn't deliver stuff in the same way or he would get off topic. And so we've started like really chopping those interviews up. We would basically go back, rewrite the questions, revoice them, redo the segues between the questions and assemble the entire interview. So if you listen from like episode seven on, those are all completely constructed. And they sound exactly the same as one through six. But some of those episodes took like 10 hours to edit. Right. Wow, Katie understands that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, but it's um, yeah, you're you're really kind of blowing my mind here <laughs> because uh, of how much planning there's through the whole process, and I, I just think people kind of take it for granted. And um, what was the show ultimately successful? Did people engage with it? Oh my god, it was uh, amazing! It is by yeah. far the best piece of content I have ever made for Heil Sounds. Like we've made videos and done all this other stuff. And the podcast has had like... I should have checked it before I got on here. The last time I checked it, it had 60,000 downloads. And it's been in hiatus for five years. And like, I want to say like 50% of that has been when we haven't been adding new episodes. But it's really like... It's all of Bob's stories from his years on the road with like The Who and The Grateful Dead and Joe Walsh. And, you know doing sound in front of Jimi Hendrix, not knowing that he was about to light a guitar on fire. Like, I can't (laughs) even imagine you're just like trying to do your thing. And this is, you know, back when the mixing board's right on the edge of the stage. And then suddenly the guitar is on fire in front. Like, I don't even know what goes through your mind when 
You're just like, ooh, how do I adjust for that? <laughs> <laughs> Improv. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious to check it out. I'm very intrigued. Yeah, it's an it's an incredible, I mean, he has such an incredible life story. And uh, when I was trying to think of what I wanted to do to celebrate 50 years of the business, it just occurred to me that the best way to do that was to let Bob tell his stories through his microphones. And it just really made sense in my mind, like creatively, that this was... This was the avenue for this. So with the pandemic, I know a lot of podcasts bubbled up during that time because everyone was home. And now this became more of a common thing to do than it was a few few years prior. And I know there were a lot of virtual podcast uh, festivals and such. Do you have a part in reaching out and training? Like, what's your involvement? How has that changed? Like, what is it now since we've seen that change. Yeah, there were a ton of them. We had a bit of a love-hate relationship with those uh, because it seemed like there was one every single month and they would be like, (laughs) we're going to do a virtual expo hall. Please man your booth for four hours a day. And it was like, oh my gosh. But I took my entire trade show booth set up home which is insane. I took over the guest bedroom in my house. I mean, let's face it, nobody was coming to visit me. So I took over the guest bedroom in our house and had like all these microphones set up to where I could do demos for people. And, you know, it was really just like a make it work moment. We did a lot of educational stuff. That was the really nice thing about the last year is the attention was there. And so it gave me an opportunity to really teach people about microphones and how they work and why they need to actually know that. I would hear so many podcasters just like blindly buy a microphone based on some like garbage recommendation. And then the next thing would be, I don't know how to make this sound good. It's so frustrating to try to tell somebody like, well, you're not going to be able to make that microphone sound good in that environment. And these are the reasons why. And you know, some... Some microphone manufacturers have tried to dumb down the process. And I just don't believe that's the right process. I think people just need to know what this stuff is. You can't go buy a car and not know what MPG is or, you know, there are just a certain number of things that you're going to need to know about how your car works in order to buy the right car for you. A A microphone's no different. You can't ignore the polar pattern and then get confused when you plug it in and can't figure out where to talk into the microphone. It's it's just a lot of technical details that are actually really important. And just being able to educate people, hopefully prior to them buying the wrong microphone. I've had so many friends that they would buy something like a Blue Yeti and then they come back to me and then they go, I can hear the dishwasher in the next room. How do I fix this? And I'm like, I'm sorry, you kind of can't. That's just what that microphone is designed for is to pick up all the sound. It's like, you know, it's got the cute little, you know, switch the polar pattern thing. And but that's only going to do so much for it. It's just, you know, it's like you can't run a race in high heels. Wow. Oh my gosh. We all know so little. I I saw the presentation you put together. When did you do that? Because that was informative. I mean, I'm in school. So like, I know some stuff, but the diffusion thing with the bookshelves, I was like, ah. Oh yeah. I have a lot of hacks because- I love that. Because I've I've worked in a lot of environments that were not recording studios. Um, I've worked in a lot of recording studios too, but I am often trying to make do wherever I am. So having something to dampen sound is always good. I have like, you know, a rug in my office and I have some acoustic treatments on the wall because every single surface in here is hard. 
which is not ideal. And really all I'm trying to do in this room is to just get the ring out of the room so that it's not bouncing back into my microphone. The microphone does the rest. But yeah, if you're at home and I'm working on a video to put out where we really talk about instead of like setting up your podcasting studio to be how it looks neat, maybe be a little more aware of how your the shape of your room and how you angle your microphone can impact your sound. And I don't think people think about that, like that aspect of it. Like, don't just sit down at a desk, be like, this is good. <laughs> I'm hating this. Stop <laughs> judging me. Stop judging me. <laughs> I mean, I've got, a, I've got a flat wall behind me, but I also have like a rug and sound diffusion. And when I was at home, I would just sort of set myself up like angled in front of a bookshelf. That's a great way because the sound can't bounce cleanly off of that space and back at you. It also gives you like something interesting. Oh, like I read these. These are my books. <laughs> I read these books. <laughs> oh, I know. It's very distracting for people though. They'll try to figure out what like books are on the shelf behind me. What kind of person you are, but yeah. <laughs> that's the Harry Potter series. I know that's the Order of the Phoenix right there. Oh, right yeah. There. Yeah, exactly. Just put something <laughs> obvious right behind you so people can just get over it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I like these in-home hacks for good po- podcasting. I know. I'm just such an audio nerd. Like it drives me nuts. I'll go to like a new restaurant and they haven't like acoustically treated the space. And I'm like, get me out of here. Like I can just hear everything and I can't have a conversation and I'm yelling and it drives me nuts. I love that. I mean, I, I, I hate that for you, but I love that um, that you've gotten to that point because I'm like, wow, my, my virgin ears, <laughs> they, they don't hear anything. They hear loud and quiet, you know, but one day I won't be able to eat in a restaurant and I'll know I made it. Those are the goals. Can't fun can no longer function. Yeah. <laughs> the bad audio everywhere. Yeah. So are you now that you know we're transitioning back into working, you know, going back into work, do you have a balance? Are you always in the office? Do you do office work and work from home? What's what's your current situation like? Well, when the dude's sick, one of us has to go home. So we sort of juggle that back and forth. And, you know, it's like, I think when you're a parent, you just have like this, like have laptop must go sort of mentality. And like, you'll just be in the car doing emails on the phone or just wherever, just trying to, you know, keep your head above water. We totally thought our, our uh, doctor was uh, gaslighting us. She was like, he's going to be sick like 10 to 12 times in the first year. And we're like, are you serious? Like there's only 52 weeks in a year. (laughs) How much of that are we going to? So that's been not fun. But spending more time with him is always great. And, you know, just squeeze in work here and there and wherever. It's kind of a riot because like, you'll be like, okay, I think I can call this person. He's being really quiet and good. And that's when like when he grabs like the little popper thing. He's like, and then he follows you. It's like, you're trying to run, (laughs) run from him. And the sound is just going with you. So yeah, just, you know, working from anywhere, everywhere. I'm in the office primarily. We'll say that. (laughs) <laughs> it feels like half only half the time, but it's probably not quite that bad. It just feels that way because, you know, you got to try to make up the work sometime. Impressive. Good for you. You're killing it. Balancing a lot in your life right now, which is definitely, uh, yeah, that's awesome. How do you keep yourself sane? How do you uh, relax and unwind? So my husband and I just took our first vacation in like three years. And we went to whiskey distilleries in Kentucky, um, where we're at in St. Louis, like the majority of the whiskey distilleries is only like four hours east of here. And so it was just a quick little trip. Um, it was funny. I told my husband, I was like, 
We don't know what microphones are. We have never seen a microphone. If there's a band playing and they have our microphones, you are not allowed to talk to them. I was like, we need to just not work for two days. That's not too much to ask. Um, Because it just like, it finds you everywhere you go usually. And like now everybody's got a podcast and, you know, it's like, oh, I just, I need, I need two days to just be me and not Michelle from Heil Sound. Just Michelle. (laughs) It was like one of our employees was like, why don't you guys just make up like fake personas? And I was like, oh. That is a great idea. Just going to make up a whole new identity for myself for a couple of days. With my luck, I would find somebody that would be like, oh, yeah, I do that too. But, you know, that could be a really fun storyline to, you know, to use on your vacations or to remember. What was your alter ego be called? Oh, I don't know. I didn't get that far, but I was like, <laughs> I was like, maybe I'll be a, um, what are the people called that make hats? Because it's a really weird word that most people don't know. Oh my God. Um, a Milner. I think that's what it's yeah. called. Um, and most people don't know what that is. So you could say that to somebody and just sort of like walk off. And it's, <laughs> a, real, a, it's a real thing, <laughs> but um, I didn't have to use it. I just stayed away from people. <laughs> <laughs> that also works too. That's Complete a good avoidance. solution. Yeah. Do you love people, Michelle? Are you a people person? Well, it's funny. I, I told my mom once, I was like, I don't really like crowds. And she was like, how do you go to so many concerts? I was like, I stand in the sound booth. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a really great place to be. I know it is. It's the best place to be. Honestly, always. You're in control. And you get to be around everyone, but no one is really talking to you. So you have your own personal space, but you still feel like you're a part of everything. Yeah. And there's literally a barricade between you and the rest of the crowd. (laughs) Yeah. It's my favorite spot. So I'm curious, uh, what, I mean, since your ear is so well tuned, like what type of music do you enjoy listening to, to just relax? Like what's your go-to for enjoyment? So I'm a very seasonal music listener. I was at home for a little bit today and I was listening to um, the Doobie Brothers. Everything is so seasonal for me. I go from listening to like jazz to hip hop to donor metal to like, it's just all over the place. Like had COVID not been going on and I didn't have a toddler, I probably would have gone to like Psycho Las Vegas that just happened. Like that's really sort of like the mood that I'm in in late summer. And then, you know, it's like, it's just, it's all over the place. And it's so like, I'm, we have so much music between my husband and I that it's really like whatever you're in the mood for. And then we listen to a lot of Frank Sinatra in our kitchen while we're cooking. <laughs> oh, that's a good uh, cooking vibe for sure. Mm-hmm. What's your number one advice for sound girls, for us and our podcast? <laughs> Or what do you got? What's your big advice? I would say always be improving, whether that's leveling up your gear or just practicing or just taking a minute instead of just like head down plowing through whatever task you have to do to really like stop and be mindful of what you're doing and enjoy the moment. You know, I think if the last year taught me anything, it's that it can all go away in a moment. And to really just like, you know, if you do live sound, take a minute to take off the headphones and just listen. Just be in that moment and feel what that feels like to have sound waves hitting you. I think that's the thing that I have missed the most in the last year is just being able to have those physical experiences of sound. And, you know, if practicing makes you better at your job, that's great. But if it makes you feel better about you as a person, that's even better. That's, that's yeah, love really that. great advice. I guess, you know, that's a wonderful way to wrap up, Michelle. It's been 
such a pleasure getting to hear your story, just your unique path, starting as a musician and now to what you're doing with podcasting and just how you've developed your your ear and how you're helping so, so many people nowadays and um, you know how you're taking a well-rounded approach to your career path and inspiring others. And it's been a real honor to get to meet you and chat with you today. Thank you. It's been really nice talking with you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sound Girls podcast. Check out soundgirls.org for more information. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of oral history interviews that highlights the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. One of the interviews is with Stephanie Brown, a sound editor and dialogue and ADR supervisor, known for her work on The Incredible Hulk, 8 Mile, A Wrinkle in Time, and many others. Be sure and catch the full interview with Stephanie Brown, along with all the other Living History interviews, over on the Sound Girls website or YouTube channel. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. Be sure to check out what our friends in the podcasting community have in store for you at audiopodcast.org.